maximize your influence. Your resource for the top persuasion, influence, and negotiation techniques that will help you maximize your success in life and business. And now, here are your hosts, Kurt Mortensen and Steve Olson. Welcome to episode 64 of Maximize Your Influence. Steve Olson here. I have Kurt Mortensen with me, who is bound for Dubai later this week. Look at you go. How's that going to be? I don't know. It's a <laughs> long plane flight, a couple days in Dubai, a couple days in, it's fun to say, Abu Dhabi. And uh, is it Qatar or Qatar? One of those. So it should be fun, should be interesting. We're doing charismatic leadership training on the other side of the world. On the other side of the world. Well... I want to hear all about the little cultural nuances. You told me the other day about one that is kind of shocking, obviously not to our large contingent of listeners in the Islamic Republic of Iran. But for the rest of you, you'd be interesting to hear what do they do about the men and the women in these trainings, Kurt? Not so much in uh, Dubai, but when you start getting these other countries like Saudi Arabia, you've got to separate the room and have the men and the women separated. And I've heard that sometimes you have to even pay for the uh, what is the name? The morality police to be there to make sure you're not teaching anything that's contrary to what they believe. So that's just, uh, I guess it's the word is scuttlebutt. Not quite sure. I guess I'll find out what's really happening with that. But it'll be interesting. It'll be wow. fun. Do they have a physical wall down the center of the room? I thought I heard you say that. Yeah, a wall, an actual wall where they're separated. And then as an instructor, you have to make sure you're not one-on-one -on -one with the opposite sex because then you are hauled off for <laughs> morality infractions. Okay, then. That's a tough crowd. It's a different. And then, of course, whole translation and the stories and the jokes and the humor and some slides I can't use. I mean, the humor I used in Italy, I can't use over there. So I'm scrambling for some good stories and good jokes because my normal stuff doesn't always translate well, especially in uh, some countries. And don't talk about how much you like ribs either. <laughs> well, especially pork ribs. The other ribs are okay. Yeah, but not the pork ribs. And uh, yeah. <laughs> That would be bad. Yes, sir, it will. Well, enjoy your time in Dubai. We want the full report when you get back, and uh, we're looking forward to hearing it. We've had uh, been covering the four hours of resistance over the last couple of uh, episodes with Kurt taking off. I just got back from Houston, Texas last night, was out with a bunch of real estate investors. Our bus broke down uh, during oh, the middle fun. of the day. You'd be happy to know it broke down in front of a barbecue joint. I'm not kidding you. Oh, hey, was it good? It was good. Moe's Barbecue. If you're from Texas, you're acquainted with it. And there was a bunch <laughs> of college football on. And it was great because, you know, my clients didn't seem to mind. We're in there chewing on barbecue while we're waiting for the bus to show up, and everybody was happy. Wow, that that is lucky right there, because it could have been so much worse, and especially the Texas heat and being stranded in the middle of nowhere versus in front of a barbecue pit. I know, I know, and I had to tell everybody, I said, hey, look, we got to wait for the bus. There's a McDonald's right there. We may have to go in, and this lady, she almost started hissing at me. She was so anti-McDonald's. She was just... <laughs> And then finally somebody said, well, there's a Moe's down there about 100 yards, and everybody jumping up and down, and off we went to Moe's. So there you go. Yeah, that's one thing I know about visiting Texas. I'm, I think I've had there about a month, but they are serious about their barbecue. In fact, one of our good friends from Texas that when he finds out that I'm using a gas barbecue, he's very offended. It's, no, it's all about the smoking. you got to stay up all night. This is a religion. If not, get out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm -hmm. And you've, I think you've kind of gone into the smoking world, haven't you? I have been saved. That's correct. I I am in the smoking world now. I love it. 
And I I get a little bit offended about gas myself. <laughs> I would be saved myself if the time was the same. <laughs> <laughs> if you can have burgers or do some hot dogs or whatever, throw it on the gas grill. But you know, if you're going to do a pork shoulder or ribs or brisket, it just come on. What do you what do you think? Although I have to say, I did some ribs on the gas barbecue, and our Texas friend did approve. He didn't know, but he did approve of the test. <laughs> oh, something tells me he'd change his mind if he knew. I uh, probably so. I didn't tell. Hey, you know, I did these for you. I didn't say either way, and they passed. So there's certain fun things you can do on a gas grill to get the smoke and to get the flavor. But that's for another show. Well, that's kind of everything in life. I, I there's some things with my kids or with my wife that you know I could cook something a certain way, and if they found out it was done that way, they wouldn't like it. But if they don't know. They're like, oh, this is good. And I'm like, you thinking in my head, yeah, and if I tell you it was done this way, you're going to freak out and decide it's not good all of a sudden. It's a mind games, right? It is. Like when I travel to Asia, I'm like, you know, I'm not going to ask what's really in here because I don't want to know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It'll ruin my day. I don't want to know. Just don't tell me. Uh, that, that's right. So, <laughs> all right. Well, let's get into it here. We want to cover, first of all, if you have toddlers, young children, because sometimes we, we try to give you a little heads up on what might be ahead for them. Like a few weeks ago, obese male teens, they earn less money in adulthood. <laughs> All right? Get your teenager on the treadmill because if he's not going to be a very good retirement plan for you if he's obese as a teenager. All right? He needs to earn more money in adulthood. So Curry has an article here in our geeky article moment. Go ahead and cue up the Urkel. All right, go, Urkel. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Urkel. Uh, so toddlers, apparently with low empathy, leads to some uh, complications later on in life. Can you elaborate on that for us? That's right. It's one of those things that with toddlers with low empathy, they're at risk for future behavior problems. And so they found with toddlers that don't feel guilty after bad behavior, after probably stealing a toy or spanking somebody who are less affectionate or less responsive to affection, may be at risk for greater behavior problems by the time they enter first grade. And this is from the University of Michigan. And they were just monitoring children who were more aggressive or violent as teens, adults, as toddlers. And they were trying to figure out what's going on. And so they looked at 240 children, again, at the University of Michigan. And they gathered information from parents, trying to figure out what's going on. And they identified different types of behavior that were considered aggressive or low empathy. And what they found is, you know, for parents and educators to take from the study, is that children during preschool years that show different types of behavioral problems they might need to be intercepted. There could be some long-term challenges there when they really couldn't perceive that there was a problem, stealing a toy, aggression, low empathy, that there were some long-term challenges. And that goes back to, I think you're familiar with that marshmallow study. Remember that one, Steve? Yeah, yeah. I was one of the kids where, that ate the marshmallows. <laughs> where they put these uh, toddlers and uh, younger kids in a room. And they say, look, we've got these marshmallows here. You're welcome to eat them. But, you know, if you wait, I'm going to leave the room. But if you can wait while I come back, I'll double your marshmallows. And it was fun to watch the videos of some kids sitting on their hands and trying to resist. Some kids didn't even wait. This might have been used to it. Didn't even wait a second. They just ate the marshmallow. Like, you know, why wait versus the kids? But the kids that could delay that gratification, wow, they were so much more successful. They were more balanced emotionally in life. I think it's the same type of thing where we can tell a lot about a person early on growing up, and we can adjust some things, but they found that aggression, that low empathy, was a huge indicator for future behavior problems, future bullying problems with these toddlers 
at the study they've done at the University of Michigan. That whole bullying thing is just getting out of control, and luckily the schools are becoming so much more aware of it. My daughter, she's uh, in first grade, and we had parent-teacher conference the other day, and the teacher asked and said, hey, is there anybody in class that bothers you or makes you feel uncomfortable? Not just every now and then, but like every day, right? We, And of course, we know what the question is here. But the kids, they, they don't necessarily know what that means. So she's explaining it to her in this way. And, and my daughter said, no, not really. Uh, sometimes, and she said some kid's name, is it's kind of annoying. And the teacher would shake her head. She says, not the first time I've heard that about so-and-so today, right? <laughs> and so it's like they're really trying to get out in front of this now because you hear what this long-term bullying does to the, the psyche of these kids and what it what they many of them end up doing later in life or in high school or junior high as a result of it. So, you know, if we can get out in front of it with these little bullies that are 18 months old or or two years old would be even better. Yeah, and we've seen that at the playground. There's always a couple of kids that are bullies. They're out in the front, and it's apparent, like, okay, do I intercept? Do I let it happen? Is this life? Do I save the day? Do I let them learn, right? Even as a parent, there's all those little things that go through your mind when this happens. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That, that happened to my other daughter the other day where this one kid had uh, scratched her a couple of times. And, you know, it, it, the kids, they have their altercations. You get over it. But this was happening over and over again. And so my wife was very disappointed when she walked in on me the other day showing my daughter how to throw a punch. That's <laughs> <laughs> like it's tough. Is if it's little boys, you throw punches. You know, you just don't know sometimes how to handle this. And you want to let them learn how to grow and handle it. But at times, comes as parents, you want to run in and save the day. But it is something we got to learn how to handle those emotions, how to handle the bullies. Because I know the listeners out there have a boss that's a bully. Yep. And that's how they do things. And dealing with that and understanding that and. Sometimes running to higher authority doesn't always work out, especially if it's your boss or your immediate manager. You've got to deal with it and handle it in the right way. Yep, you do. You do. Because when I landed in Houston the other night, I was on the shuttle to my hotel. And the driver, he was you know, good old boy from Texas. And we got to talking. And, and I'll edit the quote for, for podcast purposes. But he said, <laughs> you know, my daddy told me there are more horses behinds in this world than there are horses. <laughs> So, there you go. Yep. Put it down, write it down, and that is so true. Yeah, it is. It is. So let's get cranking on our R's of resistance, Kurt. We're on the third R today. So far, we, we know that the two R's of resistance were two in. What are those two? Can we do a quick review before we hit number three? You bet. We talked about reason, You know, creating an interest, a need, a want, understanding the difference between feature and benefit, grabbing their attention, building that urgency, that scarcity, because if they think they're going to wait, they're going to wait. If there's no reason for them to act, they're not going to act. If they can't see a reason to use a product or service, they're not. That was number one. Number two, we talked about that risk, where it was too risky, why rock the boat? I don't have the resources, the time, the team, the social support to do this and we talked a lot about the law of involvement providing a guarantee that was number two and number three is the big one that every persuader thinks about is resources you gotta have the resources now here's the thing a lot of people like oh money 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 and we know that up to about 67 percent of the time when people say it's too expensive it's a knee-jerk reaction it's not true number one number two as a persuader you blew it you haven't built the value and when you look at resources, sure, we're talking about money. Is it in the budget? Do they have the money? But do they have the time? Do they have the support? Do they have the ability to be able to do that and realize that 
when you look at purchase decisions, price is number four. Because people want to make sure that they're going to have a good experience, that the quality's there, that people have recommended it. Because we know you get what you pay for. Because less than 6% of the things that we buy are actually bought on price. I don't think you eat at McDonald's every day. I don't think you go to a thrift store every day. When the value's there, it's easy to, to purchase. And that's the key. We don't skimp on maybe that bottle of wine. We don't skimp on maybe that nice restaurant. Maybe we don't skimp on that suit. When the value is there, we purchase it and realize that it's all about human perception. Because when somebody sees your product or service, their automatic knee-jerk reaction is going to put a value to it. So here's the question. Are they comparing your product or service to a used car or are they comparing it to a Rolls-Royce? You get to decide. And I've mentioned this before in a seminar, I'll hold up a, a CD. doesn't have a label on it. And I say, what is this worth? And I'll get anything from 10 cents, people thinking it's a blank CD. I'll get 10 bucks. Maybe it's an audio CD. Someone will say 100 bucks because it might be an audio of me. And somebody might say 1,000 bucks because it could be software. It's all about perception. The values are there. And I say, well, would anybody pay $10,000 for the CD? And people start thinking about it. And one person said, well, yeah, well, it depends on what's on it. If it's going to make me more than that, if I get the return on investment, it'll be worth more than that. And that's the big picture when we understand the law of contrast. And you remember that story, Steve, where you have three buckets of water, ice-cold water, hot water. You put one foot in ice cold, one foot in hot. And then you take both feet and put them in room temperature water. And what happens? Yeah, you, you're, how you feel gets pretty skewed. It does, and that's about the contrast. That's about the perception. You get to decide how people feel about things. It goes back to the whole, I call it the Starbucks principle, because when Starbucks came on the scene, coffee was worth, what, 50 cents. Coffee is 50 cents. You pay 50 cents for coffee. That's all it's worth. Now, all of a sudden, people are paying three, four, five plus dollars for coffee. They had to adjust perceptions. And the way they did that is pretty interesting to where they had a great decor, they treated it almost like a winery where there's different regions, different coffees. They changed the different names. There's different types of things that people weren't used to. They even changed the name of the sizes of the cup. It wasn't small, medium, or large. They have a, have a grande, and they have these different sizes, and they changed the perception to where coffee was now worth 3 or $4 instead of $0.50. Cents. And that is the key when you talk about contrast. Just like when you go to a mechanic and your car's – you know, making noises and smoke and then says, Oh, I'll fix it. Should cost more than a hundred bucks. Go ahead and go out to lunch and you come back and it's six hundred bucks. And you are mad. Are you kidding me? Versus if the mechanic was smart, they'd come up and they would say, I don't know, I'm smelling transmission, you got radiation issues, you might as well go shop for another car. You're like, Oh, I can't afford another car and you come back at six hundred dollars. So same price, two different reactions. And that's the critical thing when you talk about resources. Can they see themselves having the time, the money, the support to be able to do that? is a huge factor in helping people understand the other resources and not following the knee-jerk reaction of, oh, I can't afford it. Yeah, that's kind of tough for the mechanic because he's got a dilemma there. And, we're, and by mechanic, I mean anybody who has customers approach them and want to know how much their service is going to be because he's got to walk that line between making the person's expectations be in line so they're not disappointed later and making them decide, I'm going to go get a bunch of other bids. Right? <laughs> it's a hard uh, decision to make. It's tough. Yeah. I love what Brian Tracy says. He says, well, you know, if it's not a perfect fit, it's not going to cost you anything at all. Yeah. <laughs> I have to use that line pretty frequent. I, and But there's some personalities that won't take that, so you have to be careful. Yeah. And you were saying something about the whole CD thing and how people have these perceptions of what's it worth, what's on there. And 
sometimes the, the, the physical packaging or the verbal presentation and just the whole ambiance of the product will drive people to think that it is worth less or that it is worth more. And we, we always are, are applauding Apple on our show here. If you've ever bought a product from Apple, how's the packaging? Mm-hmm. It's slick. You enjoy opening that package almost more than you like using the product. He's like, oh, wow, look at this slick box, and you pull it off there, and it says designed by Apple in California, and it's got all this stuff. And if you go buy a Dell laptop at, at Best Buy, comes in a dingy little cardboard box, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's Apple is, is so good at setting the stage and building the value up front to where you're going, well, yeah, the laptop costs double what the, what the competitive laptop costs at Best Buy, but – they're they're setting it up for the for the person mentally to to be okay with that. Oh, and it's all about the presentation, especially software. When it comes in a box, the more expensive the software, the bigger the box. Even though you really only need a CD, but it's that expectation. Even I was opening a teeth whitening kit; it was huge because you know they're like thirty, forty, fifty bucks. But really, they only need a couple little things of teeth whitening solution in there to do it. But it's a huge box because of the cost of the product. Right, right. Many of the books that I've read, the mentors I've had along the way, the training I've had along the way, they talk about this issue of resources, like you're saying, where most of the time when somebody says, I don't have the resources with time, money, support, whatever it is, uh, that's not really the case. And so then you start going, well, why did they tell me that? Or what's the problem? And the problem goes down to what we've talked about before, which is dissonance or pain and really getting the compelling reason like we talked about in the first hour of resistance. Because when you can bring that center stage, the resources get reallocated. And I, I was at a real estate conference last year and, and I've told everybody on the podcast about, podcast about this before. You know, I, I try to buy houses at a discount and I repair them and I resell them and make a profit. That's my business. It's what I do. This guy was explaining how to talk to sellers when you want to buy their house for a discount. And he said, I'll tell my sellers this. Look, if you want the best price on a gallon of milk, where do you go? You probably go to Walmart. And the good news is, is you got the best price on the gallon of milk. The bad news is, is you got to go to Walmart, right? <laughs> you parked 90 rows back and there were 300 people in the store and they had one check stand open, right? Your time got completely destroyed. You had no convenience whatsoever, but you got what you came for. You got the best price on the gallon of milk. But on the other hand, if you're driving home, and your wife says, hey, we're having the Smiths over for dessert tonight, and I don't have any milk. I'm out of milk. you got to get some right now. You go to 7-Eleven. Did you get the best price of milk at 7-Eleven? Absolutely not. But you parked on the front row, and you were in and out of there in two minutes tops. And that brings this front and center of, well, what's the pain? What is this person really trying to accomplish? Because if they really do have the resources, and the person is, you know, they're not being forthright about it, like you say, then you just haven't brought the pain center stage. That's exactly right. And you haven't built the pain. You haven't built the value. In fact, there's some tools we can talk about that actually adjust the perception of value because there's that knee-jerk reaction. I can't afford too much because it's based on past experience. And there's some things you can do. And there's one that's famous in the sales arena called reduce it to the ridiculous, which is really important. If you have a product or service that's going to last 5, 10 years or a home mortgage that's going to be 30 years, a lot of times you can reduce it to, to ridiculous. Say, what we're talking about is an extra 30 cents a day. We're talking about a cafe latte a week. We're talking about a can of soda a day. I mean, when you look at the difference between maybe twenty, thirty thousand dollars over 30 years and the cost of that loan, it's really not going to be that much. 
But in their mind, they're thinking $30,000. So sometimes you got to reduce it to the ridiculous so that makes sense. Oh, that's only 31 cents a day. It's not that big of a deal. Good point. Good point. And I've heard people say, too, you kind of want to have that allure as a salesperson. And I think you have to do this right. You have to do it in the right context. But when they can look at the prospect and say, so have you guys thought through what you're going to do if you if you don't purchase a product like mine or purchase my product? What are your options at that point? Right? Because sure. people start cool. they start going, Oh, okay, you know, it's this buying this product is better than not buying this product. Yeah, building the pain, not finding the solution, understanding the gap between where they are and where they need to be. So reduce it to the ridiculous is a huge one. Another one we see on the infomercials called sweetening the pot, our favorite thing to say, but wait, there's more. That's right is actually very beneficial because persuaders that lump everything into one big package, you get all this for this, it actually reduces the value. You should separate everything in a negotiation and your product and your service and let people know what each item costs. Just the bake sale, right? Hey, we've got a cupcake and two cookies today for 75 cents and 40% bought. The next day, oh, today cupcakes are 75 cents, but hey, as a bonus, you get two cookies. And that went from 40% to 70%. So that's important. So if you can add something like a report or, or gift wrapping or free delivery, extended warranty, free consult, if you can add other things along the way, it actually increases the value of what you're doing. Look at the Internet sites that say, hey, wait a minute. Look, at you're getting this bonus for $200 and this bonus for $100 and this bonus for $30. That increases sales versus saying you get all this for this amount of money. My wife used to work with somebody whose whose husband was in the timeshare industry, and we've we always talk about timeshare guys and infomercial guys on this show because they're really good. When it comes to building value, I don't know that there's anybody better. So he told us that what happens to a lot of these people is they make the, the presentation about the timeshare itself. And that gets even the most skeptical guys that came in there with their arms folded and a frown on their face. That gets them to go, well, that sounds pretty good. And then what happens is they make it rain bonuses, right? It just gets out of hand. We're going to throw in an extra week with this condo in Puerto Rico. And we're going to throw in another 10 days with this condo in Tahiti. Do you guys like Best Buy? We're going to throw in this $400 Best Buy. And all of a sudden you're going, the amount I'm paying for the timeshare, this stuff alone is worth way more than that. That's that critical mass of, okay, here's my credit card, right? Do what you got to do. And it's just that value, that value build. If you're getting the objection over and over again of, I don't have the resources, and remember, resources isn't just money, it's other things, then you're not adequately showing the value or extracting the pain from the prospect. It's as simple as that, is it not? It is, and that's a good point with those bonuses. We notice on the Internet, and even timeshare-type presentations, that people are buying just for the bonuses I mean, the, the core product's a great deal, but hey, these bonuses are awesome. Yeah, good points. Anything else you want to come up with on uh, resources as we go through the three, the four hours of resistance? Last one is called door in the face. Basically, we hit them with a large request, especially in a negotiation. It really adjusts the perception of value in their mind. For example, people came up to students at a university and said, hey, would you do a 15-minute a survey? And they're like, I don't know, and only 15% complied. Then they did the door in the face, which is a large, unreasonable request. They said, hey, will you do a two-hour survey? No, no, I don't have the time. Hey, will you at least do a 15-minute? The compliance rate went from 25 to 50%, doubled because you kind of retreated. You had a little concession. 
And that's important in negotiation, establishing the value, is sometimes you need to start really high, and whether it be real estate or in the negotiation, and retreat a little bit, you actually get better value for what you're doing. Yep, yep. And you have to get over it mentally, guys. You feel like I'm going to insult them or it's going to make things uncomfortable. Well, the reason your prospect hasn't done anything yet is because they're too comfortable. you got to make things a little bit uncomfortable. That's okay. There will be no decisions unless that happens. Exactly. Yeah. Well, good. Let's go ahead and move on. Why don't we queue up the ninja? All right, ninja, go. This is a negotiating ninja. This is a associate of mine where we went to a, a house the other day, and we wanted to buy this house. The people responded to one of our, our direct mail campaigns that we did, and they told us a very sad story about how the house that they're living in right now is in foreclosure. And as we kind of went through it with them and the numbers, we realized we can't really help these people, at least us specifically. We can make some recommendations to them as to what they should do next. Well, it came out that they own another house, and they own that one free and clear with no debt. So the issue here, Kurt, is if the other house gets foreclosed and they still own this one free and clear, the bank can then come after that other house, too. That's what's called a deficiency judgment, and I won't go into the legal boredom here, but that other house could be at risk as well. So I knew that there was some pretty compelling pain, right? So we went through this, and uh, my associate ended up offering them uh, $58,000. For the house, even when we knew that they they were really saying we wanted seventy, you know, we really want seventy, but it wasn't in the numbers. There's no way that we could have done the offer at seventy to make it happen. So it was funny because immediately when he said fifty eight, the wife who was kind of running the show said, "Nope, sorry, can't do it, can't do it." And it was like, okay, so we just let it kind of quiet for for a second. And the daughter in law across the room chimes in and says, "Will you negotiate?" <laughs> So immediately we knew, okay, they can do 58, <laughs> right? And they may not know it right now, but the pain is so compelling. And we had about two weeks left before this was going to happen that we said, well, I don't, I don't think that we can in this case. We can try. Well, you know, let, let's talk in a few days. So we went back. I said, hey, should we call him? Should we call him and let him know? And he said, nope. Let him sit. Let him cook. <laughs> I said, I don't know. He said, they're getting foreclosed in two weeks. They got to do something, right? And they're not going to get any better than this. I mean, our, our offer really was the best case scenario for them because they were in a pickle. They had let this problem get to the point where it was going to be our offer or nothing, right? So you'd rather take ours. So we let them cook. Four days went by, and finally they called, and I'm sure you can guess what they said. Is that 58 still on the table? <laughs> And sure enough, between their legs, that's right. Yep, yep. So it was a a mastery of the use of of the pain and understanding the product and understanding their psychology. So uh, my associate, who wishes to remain unnamed, he is this week's persuasion ninja. Great job. Pat on the back. Good job for this week's ninja. Yes, sir. Anything else you want to get into, Kerr, before we wrap it up for the week? Just remember when they say it's too expensive, they can't afford it. You've blown it as a persuader. You did not build the value. That's right. All right. Thanks again, everybody. Go ahead and send us your comments, questions, derogatory remarks, and insults to MaximizeYourInfluence at gmail.com, as well as any Ninja or Blunder nominations. We appreciate you listening, and we'll catch you next week on another episode. See you next week. 